We do not fully believe your word, nor follow your holy commandments. Remember your goodness, and for your name's sake, be gracious unto us, and forgive us our iniquity, which is great. Amen. Let's take a moment silently to confess our sins to the Lord. Amen. If you will turn with me to song number two, we'll be singing In Christ Alone. of another. 
so uh, if you'll follow along with me, I'll read, I'll read the verse that we read previously, and then we'll, we'll finish out the paragraph. So in Titus he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning on this day of worship and rest, and we thank you that you are holy, that you are good, and it is because of your goodness and your holiness that you cannot dwell amongst sin. But in the person and work of your Son, you sent him to accomplish redemption. And by the outpouring of the Spirit, you have applied redemption to those that have faith. And so we can have joy and peace and confidence before the throne of grace that even though our sin is great, our Savior is greater. So we rest in that today. And we have full assurance this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And our confession of faith is taken from um, the 1689 Confession of Faith, the chapter on of saving faith. And there's a lot of misconceptions about what faith is. Is it something that we muster up? Do we have to kind of work to, to get to God? But um, this help clears up not only where faith comes from, but how it is increased and strengthened. So if you'll read along with me um, the Confession of Faith. The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and other means appointed of God. It is increased and strengthened. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, we'll be in... Acts chapter 2. So we've been going through Acts, and we've been trying, at the beginning we tried to look at it as a whole. We talked about how there's a lot of misunderstandings about the book of Acts. It's used as a debate book to prove various points, mission styles, whatever it is. Or sometimes we see it as just a collection of events. Peter went here, he did this. And then Paul went here and did that. But we tried to look at what Luke wrote about the book of Acts, in reference to his first book, the Gospel of Luke. And speaking about the Gospel of Luke in verse 1, chapter 1 of Acts, he says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, referencing the Gospel of Luke. And so the implication is that the book of Acts is what Christ continues to do and teach from heaven. And so we could say that the book of Acts is really the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. And so we talked about that some of the implications of that. We've talked about Pentecost, how it's not an event to be repeated in the Christian life, but was actually fulfilled on that day and is a reversal of battle. We talked about that a little bit. And last week we talked about Peter's spirit-filled sermon. So the spirit has just been poured out at Pentecost. And we looked at that and how I was thinking about it most of the time when we think of spirit-filled sermons. 
Um, we think of a lot of things, but we don't really think of preaching Christ from the Old Testament. So Peter kind of corrects us a little bit and shows us that true spirit-filled preaching is really preaching Christ from all the scriptures. So today we're going to look at the spirit-filled church. Um, so we've looked at the spirit-filled sermon. We're going to look at the spirit-filled church. And so just a brief overview. Peter referenced all those places in the Old Testament where this exalted Christ is reigning and ruling in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in his pouring out of his spirit. But then the last passage he quoted from Psalm 110 says that he will sit at the right hand of the Father and that he will make his enemies his footstool. And Peter had just accused these men that were um, questioning what was going on, that they had killed the Messiah, that they had... Um, it says in verse 23 that you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So Peter is bringing this accusation to them that you have killed the Messiah and that this risen Savior will crush his enemies. So today we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the response of these people. What? How do they respond to this proclamation of the gospel? And then finally we'll look at what happens after that, the implications of that. So, first part. We will look at verses 37 through 41. This is the response. So I'll, re I'll read the whole section, I'll pray, and then we'll look at it. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is the word of the Lord. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, and, belonging, and belongings, and distributing the proceedings to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our eyes this morning to hear it, to understand it, and to see the work of Christ in saving people and gathering them and keeping them to the day of redemption. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So I was thinking about um, these verses this week, and I thought it would be good to start with the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? It was the words, some of the last words to Christ's disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he basically says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. So here we see Christ's authority as the risen Lord, and he's commissioning his disciples to preach this gospel. And so we really see in these verses 
the disciples doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in this great commission. So it's interesting. I was thinking about it. What did Peter do basically 50 days before this? These enemies came to Christ to kill him, and he, what does he do? He pulls out his sword. <laughs> he wants to protect the Lord, and the Lord obviously hears the man's ear. But it was just interesting to think about that, that not 50 days ago, Peter was this one that was ready to kill the enemies of Christ, and here he is preaching repentance and faith to them. And so he, in a sense, pulls out a different sword, the word of the Lord. Uh, and we read in verse 37 that these people were cut to the heart. So they realized their sinfulness. They realized their sin against God by killing Christ, the Messiah, the only perfect son of God. And they respond with, what shall we do? And they would have known, we might not um, be thinking about this, but they would have been thinking of the Old Testament. What happened to people in the Old Testament that disobeyed the Lord? (laughs) It was not pretty. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. They disobeyed. God kicks them out of the garden, puts a cherubim angel guarding it with a fiery sword. I was thinking of Nadab and Abihu. They bring strange fire to the Lord, and he sends fire and consumes them. We could look at Deuteronomy 28 and the curses that are laid out for disobedience. God says that you'll be utterly destroyed. And we can even just go back to the Gospel of Matthew. And if you remember... Pilate doesn't even want to accuse Jesus. He says he's innocent. And what do the people say? Crucify him. His blood be on us and on our children. So these people not only are, they're doubling down on their guilt, and they know what happens to people that are guilty before God. They are wiped out. So these people are cut to the heart. They have a context for that. And really this is us in our sin and our guilt, right? We are calloused usually. We don't. We double down on our sin. We don't just sin. We make excuses for our sin. We blame others for our sin. So this is us in our guilt that we, when we come before God, like we've done this morning, we see our sinfulness, and the law cuts us. It shows us. It's like a mirror that we help. We hold up, and it shows us how sinful we truly are. And that's what Peter's done here. So. This cry of what shall we do is not a relaxed, you know, like when Mabel asked me, what do I do, Daddy? It's not that. (laughs) It's serious. It's um, a cry, a desperate cry for mercy. So that's how the people respond. Let's see how Peter responds. In verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, you sinned too much. You need to go clean yourself up for a couple months, then you can come, and then you can be washed, then you can be baptized. No, it's an immediate call. It's repent and believe. It's turn from your sin and turn to Christ. So there's no um, waiting period here. It's, It's a call to action, a call to do something, namely repent and believe. And then we see this sign of baptism that's given, um, like we read in the Great Commission and also here that this sign is not um, salvific in the sense that it saves them. It is a sign of what Christ has done in dying, being buried in the tomb, and being raised to new life. In our baptism, we remember that as surely as Christ was buried and risen, so we, in our sin, buried in our sin and raised to new life. So this is um, the, 
the way Peter responds. And then he also references this promise. If, in verse 39, if you want to look there, he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. So what is this promise, and who is this promise for, I think are important questions we need to ask. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, uh, they reference this verse often to justify their practice of infant baptism. So uh, not just baptizing believers, but baptizing their children, the children of believers. And so they see a lot of parallels between the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. So they would say Abraham was circumcised and his children were circumcised. Baptism is the New Testament equivalent. So if adults are baptized, the children also need to be baptized. And so um, there's lots of studying that should be done and considered before somebody lands on this issue. But I won't get into all of it right here. But basically, these parallels between circumcision and baptism are important, and they're real, but they need to be filtered through the cross and the work of Christ. So there's the famous passage in Galatians where Paul says, it is the children of faith that are the sons of Abraham. It is those that are of faith that are the children of Abraham. So we see this spiritual dimension to the promise that the sign is given not just to those is not given to those of physical birth or physical generation, but of spiritual new birth, spiritual generation, regeneration, if you will. So, just an aside there. So, what would we say? Who is the promise for? Who is it to? And if you look there, it's very all-encompassing. It says the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all those who are far off. So this promise is for everyone. It is for Jew and Gentile. The far off there refers to um, the Gentiles, that all that are not Jewish, everyone. So you might, the next question you should ask is, okay, Kendall, if the promise is for everyone, does everyone receive forgiveness of sins? Should everyone be baptized, even people that don't profess faith? And that's why we need to look to the second part of verse 39. So there is a specificity to the promise. At the end of verse 39, it says, The promise is for you and for your children, all who are far off, comma, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So Peter is saying two things here. One, this is the free offer of the gospel, that all those that repent and believe will be saved, that there's not one person, no matter how great their sin, that cannot, if they repent and believe, um, come to Christ. But he's also saying something else, that this response to the gospel is actually a work of the sovereign God. That um, this is often called effectual calling. So there's a condition for this promise to be true, and that condition is faith. But we see here that it is faith that is actually given by God. And we can we could look at that in other passages too. But So this is what Peter's saying. The gospel is for all. Not Jew or Gentile does not matter. But there is a condition, and that condition is faith, and that is a gift of God. So um, so this is Peter's response, and we see this in the next verse. Um, at verse 41, it says, all who received his word were baptized. So it's the people that received the word that are baptized, and there were added 3,000 souls. So this is the response. Peter preaches this spirit-filled sermon, Christ from the Old Testament. They are cut to the heart. And they respond. They receive the word, they're baptized, and the church is born and grows. That is part one, the response. Let's look at the second half. This is the assembling of the people. So the Spirit has been poured out. 
like I said, people are being baptized, 3,000. That's a lot. <laughs> and what happens? Do they all run off into their homes and just have private relationships with God and do their own thing? No, we don't see that. Or do they start, do they do, do they go back to the Old Testament? Do they start practicing sacrifices? Do they go to the temple to offer sacrifices? And do they just kind of redo what was happening in the Old Testament? We don't see that either. We see that the Old Testament promised these things to come through these types and shadows, whether it's the sacrificial animals or the literal temple or the physical land. All these pointed to spiritual realities spiritual sacrifices, a spiritual temple, a heavenly promised land. So we see already within two verses that these people are realizing that they're not going back to the temple, they're not offering sacrifices, they are gathering together, but they're, um, it's different. And so we're going to focus on verse 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so, just a brief word on the rest of the stuff that I won't really touch on too much today. But you notice, some of you probably picked up on some of these other things that are not necessarily normative in a lot of churches today. Signs and wonders, um, apostles, selling everything you have. And so you might say, Kindle, you're about to tell me that we need to fellowship, we need to follow the apostles' teaching, we need to break bread. Why don't we do these other things? And it's important to understand... Um, as we look at the scriptures and we interpret it, that we distinguish between what's prescriptive and what's descriptive. That means, basically, prescriptive means what must be done, and descriptive what should be done. So, we didn't really touch on it a lot, but when the twelfth disciple is chosen, in the first or the twelfth apostle, they cast lots, meaning essentially they drew straws. So if we take everything in the book of Acts as prescriptive, meaning we must do it, Therefore, that's how we should choose leaders in the church today is draw straws, essentially. But we know that that's not wise or prudent. So um, I don't have time to really walk through that and prove some of these things. I'm more asserting it. But we're really looking at what continues through the rest of the New Testament, what continues to happen. And we see these three things stand out. So this is, there will be three points, these three essential elements of New Testament worship. And um, hopefully this, there's a helpful way to remember it. So the three things are theology, liturgy, and community. So we see theology and the apostles' teaching, essentially the word. We see it in the liturgy, the breaking of bread, baptism, and the prayers. And we see it in community, in this idea of fellowship. So we'll just look at those really briefly, those three things. First, theology. Why is that important? It says they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the New Testament, essentially, and all that they taught. And they were... Again, just preaching Christ from the Old Testament and showing them how the church was to be run and all these things. And that's why when we come together, we don't talk about my favorite ideas or your favorite ideas. We come and we gather around the Word. We sing the Word, we pray the Word, the Word is taught. Um, so this is important. <laughs> and it's important not only because it grows us as believers, but it's also how people are saved from hearing the Gospel um, and be encouraged to um, turn to Christ. So this is the word. This is why theology is important. The second one is liturgy. We don't use this word a lot today, but essentially what I mean there is just um, the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, 
and prayer. And we see that in verse 42 that it says they committed themselves to the breaking of, literally it says, the bread. So this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. So these parts are not secondary to what it is to be a church. They're essential. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are essential parts of what it means to be a church. And so oftentimes we think of these things. I'll just talk about baptism shortly. We, th- we see it as a sign to God from us. Like, God, I'm really serious. I'm going to get baptized. <laughs> right? But really, this is God's sign to us to, like I said, assure us to that we can look back on this event and remember that as surely as I was cleansed under the water and brought up, that surely um, God will do this for me, that he will raise me up on the last day. There's lots of things that we can talk about with baptism. In the same way, the Lord's Supper, it's not a magic thing that turns into the physical body and blood of Christ, but it is a means of grace. We talked about that in the, um, the Confession of Faith this means by which God um, gives grace to his people, where we remember what Christ has done in shedding his blood and breaking his body. And also prayer, right? We don't just come here to just teach, but we pray to God. We ask for his help in these things. So we've looked at theology, liturgy, and finally community. That It says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. So... This is not just hanging out. That's also important. But it's not just that they were in a room and they hung out and they, they just kind of hung out. Um, that word, that Greek word there is koinonia. It's kind of where we get the word coin, actually. So this is a sharing of time and resources and really fellowshipping, of being together. It's not just a superficial, hey, how are you doing? But it's a, um, a deep sharing with one another. And we see that kind of played out. So many will take these passages to mean you cannot be a true Christian unless you sell everything you have, you live in a commune with 15 other people, or whatever it is, right? So we have to be careful here, but we can take away these general principles of generosity and caring for the people of the faith. So uh, we can't take these too far, but just some, some application there. So we've looked at theology, liturgy, community. And if we think about it, all these things are important. If you just have a place that teaches good and there's a good liturgy, but there's no real community, it will not last, and it will not be of God. So you can have the best teaching, all these things, but if there's not genuine Christian brotherly love for one another, um, then there's something lacking. And in the same token, there could be the best community in the world. You could sell everything and live with one another, but if the teaching is not focused on the word and all these other things, then there will also be a lack. So all of these things are important, and we see what happens. It says the Lord added to their number day by day. So we've seen the response of the people to Peter's spirit-filled sermon, and we've seen seen the spirit gather them into this spirit-filled church. So... Before we close, let's take a step back and let's try to apply these things because they can feel very separated from us. This happened 2,000 years ago, miles away. Let's, before we apply this, let's, let's step back. Two things. The first one, this should give us a cosmic picture of Christ church that even right now, we're just meeting in our house. There's nothing glorious. There's nothing flashy about what we're doing. 
But when we step back and see all that God has done in planning redemption, sending His Son to accomplish it, apply salvation by His Spirit, gather His people together, assure them by the means of grace, increase their faith. I mean, it's amazing to think about that. The reason we're here is huge. And there's <laughs> kids screaming and crying. There's things happening, you know, it's distracting. But we are worshiping the Lord and Christ has gone into heaven to make a way for us to do that. So it's just, it can feel so mundane sometimes. We come here every week and it just feels so normal. <laughs> like I'm looking at Andrew, I'm looking at my wife. It's so normal. There's nothing out of body about it, but um, it's glorious. And it should give us a cosmic picture of what Christ is doing in building his church. And so the second thing really comes out of that is that church is important. That it's not just a social club where we get together and we all have common interests. It's so much more than that. And it's not a place where we go to hear motivational speeches. You know, revving us up to go out into the world and do things. It's where we come to worship God. It's where we come to hear the word and to be encouraged. And so that's my prayer, you know, this morning that from hearing the word, whether it's in confession or assurance or all these things, that faith would rise up in us and that we would be assured that God has saved us. And through these ordinary means, ordinary meaning, not flashy, <laughs> but miraculous at the same time, taking a start of a heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. And this is how God gathers and grows his people. And so we see the context of the Great Commission is not this um, army, um, you know, go out and take over the battle land. <laughs> It's really a call to gather together in the local church and to administer these things, baptism, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And in a couple minutes, we're going to sing Psalm 23. And I was just thinking about that. It says, in pastures green, he leadeth me. And what are those green pastures? Are they a beach house um, on Lake Decatur? <laughs> as nice as that is, Greg. That's not what those green pastures are. It is... The word, prayer, all these other things, these means that God uses to feed our souls deeply. And so, this can be, it can be hard. It can be hard. Like I said, there's distractions. We are in a, <laughs> we're just in a house. But at the same time, we can look to heaven and we can look to the last day. And I was thinking about Revelation 21 where it talks about this. It says, And I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So even today, we look forward, we look to heaven, we look to God, who will one day gather his people and glorify them. And we look to that Sabbath day of rest. This is just a picture of that. We look to that final day. And so we look to that day where our sin will be no more, our suffering will be gone, and we'll be with our Savior. So um, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you are good and just, 
and holy, and that you have not left us in our sin, and you have not left us to figure these things out, but you have given us your word to encourage and strengthen us, and you call us to daily repent of our sin, to trust in you, and to gather together as believers um, so that we can grow and be assured that um, that you have done this, that you are building a church and the gates of hell won't prevail against us. So pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. If you want to stand with me, we'll sing Psalm 23. And we'll be singing it to the tune of Amazing Grace. So just think, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I will try not to mess it up like that. <laughs> <laughs> Doxology. shepherd. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. This concludes our service. You guys can be seated. Um, yeah, we're having lunch today, so we'll eat and probably, I don't even know what time it is, um, probably 30 or 40 minutes or so. I just wanted to, so feel free to hang out. We'll just hang out until then. You can hang out after as long as you want. Um, I just wanted to have a short announcement uh, and just kind of a prayer request. As you know, a lot of us, we, or not a lot of us, but me and Emily, we drive to Springfield to go to church. And so we drive 45 minutes. Our friends, the Jordans, are here from Springfield uh, visiting. But it's hard to have community there, and so it's been awesome to meet with you guys and do all these things. And uh, I just wanted to, uh, what was I going to say? Okay, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> um, so we, like about a year ago, we started the Bible study here, as some of you know. We were gathering here, and it kind of felt like God was gathering people around the Word in some sense. And so we're... We just, it was exciting, and then COVID happened, churches were shut down, and so for the last two or three months, we've been gathering here, we've been worshiping on Sunday mornings together, and the original intention was just to provide a place for us to gather, to worship God um, in spirit and truth, but some of you have expressed interest in seeing this become something more than that, um, essentially a church plant, something like that, and so... We've tried to seek the Lord and pray about what this could look like and pray about what is going on. And I just want to acknowledge that a lot of people here are in different places. Some of us don't have a church. Some of us go to church out of town. Some of us are members of other churches. Some of us are pursuing membership at other churches. And so I in no way want to pressure anyone or do anything like that. I just want to be transparent about our intentions and the things that we're praying and seeking the Lord about. So my only prayer request is that you would just, over the next week or so, just pray. Pray about this group. Pray about, um, I don't know, and talk to your spouse. Talk to me. Reach out to me. Uh, I'll be available all this week. You can talk to my wife. Um, If this is something you're interested in truly to see become more than just this um, then pray about that. Because the truth is, I think the, if we keep meeting without the purpose of doing that, then it actually becomes more harmful than helpful because we take people away from their local church and we keep people from pursuing membership in a local church. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to hurt God's people. We want to help them. So like I said, if you're interested, let me know. I'll try to answer any questions that you have. Um, and the first question you probably had is, what the heck is that going to look like? And that's a really good question, so we can talk about that. Um, I have more information, some of my thoughts that I've put on paper that will hopefully try to answer some of those questions. If you are interested in that, let me know, and I can get you a copy of that. So there's a lot of steps that would have to happen for that to become real, but it's what we're praying about. And so we're just trying to see if anyone else is interested. So you can talk to me. I mean, Jason here is from Springfield, but... He's been praying and fasting about churches for 20 years, so you can talk to him too if you want. So, again, we love you all. No pressure from us at all. This does not change anything. We're just seeking the Lord and seeing if there's real interest here. So, I'll just close in prayer. We'll hang out. Hopefully it's not too weird. And we'll just enjoy food and be together. So, let's pray. 
Dear Lord, we thank you again for this morning that we get to gather, and we just pray that your will would be done, that we do not know what you have planned for Decatur, um, but we are just seeking your wisdom and your help to, um, to know if this is the time, and maybe it's not, and maybe uh, not right now, but we just ask that you would give us wisdom and grace, that you would give us um, wisdom to hear your word and to seek to do it, and that you would give us grace for ourselves, for one another, and that um, we would trust in Christ today, that that would be um, the biggest message, not anything about uh, this group specifically or anything, but that Christ would be glorified. Um, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.